I'm Charles. Yes, Hi. and we are CL Squared Productions, <laughs> and he's thrilled to be here. And this Hi. is our fourth episode of our cinematic autopsy, where we autopsy cinema. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was that was very descriptive, Chelsea. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is the grumpy Charles today. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about The Sentinel today, mm-hmm. a movie uh, made in 1977, directed by Michael Winner, who uh, also did the, Desh- the Death Wish films. Oh, I didn't know that. And um, from a novel by Jeffrey Conwitz, or Witz, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but he wrote The, the Sentinel in 1974. Um, I should also note that there actually is a, a sequel uh, book called The Guardian that came out in 79, and it was all intended on being a uh, trilogy that uh, he never finished. Do we know why? Uh, I would assume the box office reaction to The Sentinel probably had a lot to do with it. <laughs> it if he really bad reviews. It, it, it flopped. It flopped was one of the... It, got, it did get bad reviews. Um, which we'll go into a little bit later, but it also was a was not a commercial success. Um, but you know, and some people may say, "Well, the book came out two years after the movie came out." But it's like, you know, if you know anything about writing, it's not like he he was, you know, if he has a book coming out in seventy nine, he was writing it before the movie came out. Yes. So, you know, it's not like he's like, well, the movie was a failure, but I'm going to go and write a new novel now. You know, that's not how writing works. So, speaking of not how writing works, let's talk about The Sentinel. The Sentinel. <laughs> so, um, so we open with, um, and here's the thing, and one of the reasons why I feel that this film really goes with the theme of our podcast, because... Um, This is a podcast, not just, you know, it's not like we're going to be covering, like, Manos, The Hands of Fate, or anything like that, which is just a shitty movie that was never intended on being anything but a shitty movie. This is about movies that tried to actually do something and failed miserably. Failed miserably. Yeah. (laughs) Usually because of directing choices or writing choices or maybe even, or acting or, you know, concept, anything like that. And, And a lot of the Sentinel, especially in the last, the first half hour is really nicely done. And it makes it even, even more appropriate as a theme for what we, uh, for what we're doing. Um, the movie had a budget of $3.7 million in 19, you know, I guess what, 76, it would have been made. Right. So $3.7 million is a lot of money. A ton of money. Yeah. Like that's, that's four Veronica's Chelsea. Um, <laughs> what? That, yeah, that is. Jesus. Can you imagine how much Glenn Hansen could destroy other things if he had that budget? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, that's that's the same. I mean, that's not like Star Wars money, but that's the same amount of money Annie Hall um, took to make. Um, the same amount of money Saturday Night Fever took to make. And it starred Chris Sarandon, who had actually um, been had an Oscar nomination for Dog Day Afternoon when right. he did this movie. So. They went in there thinking this was going to be a big hit. It came on the success of movies like The Omen and The Exorcist. And yes. All these Definitely kind of in the same theme as like Rosemary's Baby and stuff like that. It yeah. very much to do things like that and fail yeah. miserably. Exactly. Exactly. So we open with what a really beautiful monastery shots um from Italy. Yes. 
it's you know i want you know like you see the beginning and it and it looks like this is it's not like Veronica, where no one on set has any idea what they're doing. This genuinely has great cinematography, you know. Um, and so we open, you know, in, in Italy on this monastery, and we see a bunch of priests. And then, of course, it just becomes a scene straight out of the omen. It looks like a fucking outtake, where it's just the priests and cardinals are all meeting. And they say there's one token black guy, one token black. Dude was there? I didn't even notice that he there had was. no lines. I yeah. wrote down, I wrote down, I said, white men dressed as cardinals. And I was like, never mind. There's a token black guy. He's just in the corner in the back. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't even notice. Yeah. But, you know, so they, they, they basically just recite some parts of, uh, you know what? I'm just going to spoil it. Cause if you've probably already seen the movie already. Um, they, you know, re- re- they start reciting parts of, uh, Milton's Paradise Lost. Yeah. Which and, makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, which, you know, it's not like Milton wrote it at the same time as the founding of the Catholic Church. Of the founding of the Catholic Church. I was like, what part of the Bible is this in? It's in Paradise Lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... Um, and he's talking about his happy place. They're talking about finding a happy place, and the eeriest music in the world is happening while he's talking. Yeah. About it. So, so then it cuts, and this is a weird fucking edit because it goes from an exterior of Italy to an exterior of New York, like, yes. re- and it's and it's really weird. Yeah, jump cut is really odd. It just kind of happens very, very mm. abruptly. And I was like, huh, okay, now I knew this was in New York. I'm very confused. Yeah, yeah. So so we go from this <laughs> real this really weird cut, and then it goes, uh, one of the first things you see is baby Jeff Goldblum. Um, I didn't even know it was Jeff Goldblum until Charles told me afterward. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then there's a montage, which is not even a bad montage. The only problem with it is that there's this ridiculously ominous music over scenes of, like, her and her boyfriend riding bikes in the park. And, like, yeah. you know, and all the... And, and the thing that's also very interesting, and um, it's not really so much a critique of the movie, it's just something that I find odd, um, but I have seen it before. Almost the entire credits are in the opening credit sequence. Yes. The only credits that are not in the closing credits are the cast. That's true. Everything else is all in the opening credit sequence, which is kind of weird, and it felt long. But it's a, it was very a very long credit sequence, and then what I noticed also is that, as opposed to all of the other movies that we've critiqued so far, the font bothered me the least with this one. Yeah, no, the fonts weren't <laughs> awful. Like, no. there's, there's a lot in it that's good, and you can tell people actually were trying to really make a good film. But then we start going to dialogue. And one of the first things I noticed, so uh, this is a story of a woman named Allison. And Allison's a fashion model in New York City in the 1970s. And uh, she has a friend who is also a model. And one of the first things her friend does is question what a full-length mirror was. Yes. Which I was just like, wait, how is she a model and has never heard of a full-length mirror? Thinking about the like the modeling thing, the thing because you know Charles and I have both worked as a model, and that's how I make my money now. And how just the montage of her modeling and all that you go and you see her and her friend. How sometimes has somehow they miraculously get to shoot together and get cast <laughs> on the same thing. How that happened, I don't fucking know. But then the montage itself of that. Well, well, like, Chelsea, Chelsea, you should explain how it really works for people who don't really who aren't really in the industry. 
Yeah, you never see her auditioning for anything except for when there's that one guy who looks at her book. But they never explain what it's for. She sits down with her book. You have, as a model, you have a book of photographs of yourself and work that you have done. And then you go to cattle calls with thousands of other girls unless a brand specifically requests you. And and even then, there's still a process and they don't cast, you know, after that. And so the the chances of her, unless... She and her friend are the Hadids or something <laughs> and are the most famous, which they never say that they're the most famous models in New York or anything. There is no way in fucking hell that she is booking all of these jobs like that and somehow can't afford the rent that it was <laughs> supposed to be that they talk about. It's just, I was pissed off. <laughs> at that And there's also, like, she's a really cute girl. She's very thin. It was like, um... I get where she works for 70s stuff, but not not to that extent. And again, the fact that she's just modeling with her best friend somehow doesn't make any. It's just... It, yeah, it's it's one of the things, but I think it's one of the things that I'm sure the writer... I'm sure uh, Jeffrey Convitz did not do very much research into modeling. I'm no. sure, you know, because that's the thing, is like, I have friends I've worked with, like, once. You know, like, and that's, that's, if you're really, really lucky, you will get to, like, be in a commercial with someone you know, or, like, yeah. you know, other... How thrilled you are when you yeah. show up to set, and you're like, this person! Yeah, yeah, it's not like, it's not like, like, acting is different, because acting you'll often work with people you know, but in modeling, or even in commercials... You will almost never work with the person that yeah. you are, like, so this best friends with. Made me hate the movie immediately. And also, I think that, as far as the story goes, there was nothing important plot-wise that made it necessary for her to be a fashion model. She could have been a fucking doctor or a fucking mortician. She could have anything. Mm -hmm. It was not important that she was a fashion model. It yeah. was probably something that I feel like the writer was like, I'm going to make her a model. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I off every other model. So some, ever seen somehow I don't imagine he was as girlish when he said it, but yeah, I, I think I don't even know. I don't. Yeah, because maybe if he was that girlish, then he would have done his research. Yeah, yeah. So you know, um, so we go from from that to um, we we now see a whole bunch of real estate conversations, um, yes. which isn't really you know like we see this guy uh, played by Chris Sarandon. We're not, you know, and, and there's two different goals going on here, and it takes a, a, the movie a little bit to explain why he is looking for an apartment that the two of them can live together in, and she is looking for an apartment for herself. And they also live, or they don't, but they're in this apartment, they don't live together, right? They, they do live, live together. together. They, they live together live in together. Central in Park West. Gorgeous, a yeah. gorgeous fucking penthouse in Central Park West, but he's looking for something with a full-length mirror that she's gonna love, and she's looking for something of where she can live by herself just to prove that she can do it. Yeah. It makes a little more sense if you look at the original novel, she moved to West 89th Street. Right. Which, may, which is a little more sense than her moving all the way away from him to Brooklyn. Yes. Um, but, you know... My first thought, and maybe it was different in the 70s, I don't know, but all I know is that if you are in a relationship and you're living together and you start looking for an apartment for yourself, that means your relationship is ending. 
That means that you should no longer be in a relationship. Yeah. And I I just kept thinking about how crazy the prices were. Like Yeah. Like a three bedroom on for like a thousand dollars in New York City. Yeah, I wrote I wrote so the first the first thing that they were looking at was six hundred and I said, No fucking way. And then <laughs> and then he's looking at this thousand dollar a month apartment that is just ginormous. That has, and has it's three bedrooms. It's three bedrooms. Three, yes. Yes. And thousand dollars a month and the realtor says, I wrote it down, happy marriages are made in thousand dollar month apartments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was also the uh the la- the uh the real estate agent who I- appeared to be implying he was gay or something like yeah. It was weird. Wasn't really much thought into it. It was weird. He was just like, you know, you're uh what I call well dressed or like what what? Like and and he was asking him Excuse me? He was asking him all these weird personal questions and it was just like what 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 the fuck is happening here? <laughs> so <laughs> So, um, you know, because uh, Michael, who is a, a lawyer, uh, wants to marry Allison. And so Michael has a creepy mustache. Yeah. Well, you know, it was the 70s. That was like a, a, you know, I really don't know why that was a fashionable thing back then, but it was. It was. It was. I hated him from the beginning, <laughs> and I blame the mustache. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we see Allison, you know, she's doing her thing, and then she's being watched by a, by a really creepy priest. Yep. Um, who I who I have dubbed uh, creepy pasta, uh, creepy pasta, creepy pasta. Yes, just because I'm a child. Um, and you know, so uh, she gets a phone call that something's going on with her dad, and she goes, and her dad is, I guess he's dying, but he just looks like a cyborg. Um, yeah, I wrote dad dying, dad dead. It happened very quickly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then she has a flashback. Um. You know, and she can't stand to she can't stand to go to the funeral, and then she has a flashback um, where um, her dad is having some sort of threesome with two women while eating cake and yeah, like eating cake in bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very bizarre, and you notice how she only started having this flashback. Flashback. I'm sure it's PTSD for going back into that house, but also when she decided that she couldn't couldn't go to the funeral. Somebody gave her a pill and a drink. Yes. <laughs> that was, it was the 70s. That's how you... Was that her mom? Did her mom give her the it pill and the drink? So, of course, you're going to have fucking flashbacks about your dad and some whores and some cake. I mean, duh. So, but, so it doesn't really go into it in the movie, but in the novel, they were prostitutes that her father had hired for, uh, for his birthday. Um, Happy birthday, daddy. Yeah. And then he gives her... He, he, she, she walks into the room... She in the flashback, she walks into the room, she sees her dad fucking these two women. He gets out of bed, starts slapping her around in the worst slaps I think I've ever fucking seen in a movie. Yes, they were horrendous. Like they were really really fucking bad. Um and then she goes and immediately decides to kill herself. Yes, and she slips her wrist in a way that in no way is that and like you know how they teach you not to go the uh what is it across, across the, the street down, across the street yeah. not down the road. Yeah. Yes, so she does it the wrong way. Yeah, but I do have to say, um, going back to uh, what I was saying earlier, what did you think of the way they did the flashback, though? Oh, it was confusing first. I mean, I didn't hate it. 
because I, I thought it was an interesting way of doing a flashback because flashbacks usually are just cutting to another scene. Yeah, but there was it was a younger her existing on the same plane. Yeah. And it was like she was watching herself and reliving. Yeah, and I thought that was an interesting way of doing a flashback. I didn't hate it. It was um, unsettling, which is I think what they were going for. Yeah. So, um, you know, so the dad for some reason tears off her cross necklace. I have no idea why he fucking did that. They made a yes. big deal of it. Like, I don't know, it's just kind of like, you know, how dare you look at me fucking these girls, now I'm gonna tear off your cross necklace, cause religion, I don't yes. have any idea. I still got these prostitutes in my bed and the cake is not gone, so I'm gonna rip your cross off. Yes, so, um, and then of course they cut to modern times now, where yes. she finds the necklace, and... There's like a one sentence conversation with her mom where her mom is like, "Oh yeah, I knew that he was that he was doing that, but he was rich." <laughs> you know. And I was afraid to leave, that's what she said. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, I don't know what that's supposed to tell us about it seemed almost unnecessary, but whatever, yeah. it's there. So, <laughs> while we're now in this that's one of the problems with this film is the structure, quite honestly. Like Yeah. It seems like there's so many really well... There's a whole bunch of well-done parts that then have really bad parts. And everything's in a weird order. And, like, I, I don't... Like, I don't know whether it's the editing, whether or not the director was more familiar with action films, and that's why some parts of it were, like... Like, all the horror parts of this film are bad. Yes. Everything that was supposed to be horror was just fucking awful and like i mean but it's like i said it's like they know what they're doing but whenever it came to the horror stuff it was like it just went down a notch it went yeah. down a whole bunch of notches but you know so uh she sees another place and it's this really nice area of uh brooklyn heights um mm -hmm. right on the like on the promenade yeah, which right I actually BQE. Yeah. yeah, which uh, which I actually looked up, and it's a real place, uh, Ten Montague Terrace, um, and uh, you know, it's it was which is weird that the movie would actually mention the real address. I don't think I've ever seen that ever. I don't think I've ever seen that either. No. Because usually, because you know, normally the homeowners don't want uh, you know <laughs> fans of the film to go and show up at at their address. Well, now I'm gonna, you know. <laughs> Well, we have to make it. We have to make a field trip now if we're going to do it. Oh well, definitely. Yeah, and see if we can rent the place for uh, five hundred. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant four hundred. Four hundred with a fifty dollar deposit, which these fucking seventy seven prices. They're Jesus so desperate. Christ. The real estate agent that she's dealing with is so desperate to get her in there <laughs> that she says five hundred, and she says she can't afford that, and she said, and then she goes to four hundred, and she's so desperate to get her in there. So, yeah. Yeah. honestly, if I ever was looking for an apartment and they and I said I can't afford it and they immediately dropped the price $100, but then pretended they didn't drop the price, uh -huh. just pretended like I had heard it wrong, I would be really suspicious. I'd be like, what family was murdered in this like, yeah. apartment or I whatever? I wouldn't want to move in at that point. You know, and then, of course, so we discover on the fifth floor there's a creepy priest uh, not, not the creepy pastor, another a creepy priest. Yeah, a creepy blind priest. Yes. Um, which in the novel, it's the 20th floor. But I can see why they'd make it the 5th floor, because you can't see a dude hanging out in the 20th fucking floor. Yeah, so, no, he just stares out the window all the time. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so then we go to a photo shoot with baby, baby Jeff Goldblum. 
um, where animals are I going. Think Jerry Orbach is in that too. Jerry no, Orbach not yet. The... Not yet. That's not yet. that's later on. Um, so there are animals going crazy, um, which right there must have cost a whole shitload of money. Like there's like a horse and dogs and like a peacock and. Yeah, and Jeff all the animals freak out. Yeah, and Jeff Goldblum gets, like, one of his, like, four lines in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, where he's like, sure, you know, whatever, we're already sinking, or something like that. Um, so, uh, she goes in, she makes a phone call, then she passes out, because she has a, ne a neurological disorder. This actress cannot faint well. No, she does not faint well. No, no, she really didn't. Um, so then... Uh, at her new apartment, she meets Charlie uh, Chasen, uh, mm -hmm. who is played by Burgess Meredith, who had just been coming off Rocky, another example of how much money was put into this movie, um, with a bird on his shoulder named Mortimer and a cat named Jezebel. So he just kind of walks in and puts his cat all over her furniture, which right yeah. there, right there, I, whether you like cats or not, you don't just... Let someone put strange animals on your on your stuff. After telling her that Jezebel has indigestion. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, okay, so the cat's gonna, what, vomit on my fucking sofa or something? And, like, <laughs> you know. So, you know, so she says that, um, there, there's a line I do love in there, though, um, where he's like, oh, I recognize you from something. And she's like, oh, I do commercials. And he's like, oh, I thought you were an actress. Yeah, 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 that was funny. <laughs> that was an amazing line. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, and he also leaves a picture of himself in her apartment. Which yeah, is... oddest thing to do. Just, like, doesn't even mention it. You don't even see him put it down. You just, it's just there. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you, can, you know what? I, I almost feel like if I ever, you know, I never go meet the fucking new neighbors. I don't give a shit about the new neighbors, but. I don't care about my neighbors. But I feel like, wouldn't that be fun to just leave pictures of yourself in frames? <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, it's yeah, like, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, um and uh so <sighs> she comes back she comes home another day and she wants to go and meet her neighbors, but her neighbors are not answering the door. So she just opens their door. So she just opens the door and walks in. And walks into their apartment. Now the movie makes a big deal about them being lesbians, mm -hmm. um, and the book the book goes into um, the book's description. And Beverly D'Angelo plays Sandra, um, with Goethe, Goethe, and Sandra are the uh, neighbors, yes. and uh, and they're all they're in aerobic gear for whatever reason. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they're 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 there like they're just going to yoga class or something like that. And, um, they don't seem to mind that this weird person has just walked into their apartment, but mm -hmm. she gets very judgmental when Sandra starts doing the weirdest, most unnatural masturbation I think I've ever seen in a film. It's not, there's no way. She didn't hit her clit at all. But it's just, well, <laughs> I mean, do you, do you think anyone involved in this movie knows where the clit was? No. <laughs> like, no. you know? <laughs> so... Funny story, um, doing the research about this, um, the weird Beverly D'Angelo masturbation was supposed to be, and I think this speaks to one of the movie's problems and one of the novel's problems, because it shows that, like, the perspective they're coming from. That was somehow supposed to be seducing Allison. What? Yes. <laughs> somehow, 
that was supposed to be them tempting her to join their, like, in a little lesbian thing. Yeah, and Allison just kind of sat there. <clears throat> Maybe she was just like, this is so uncomfortable, but she, it's so sad she doesn't know where the clit is either. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, she just starts, like, masturbating, and then she, and, and I love that, I love that they gave the touch of her sniffing her fingers after she's done. Yes. She spent through her through her leotard and through her tights. Yes, yes. So you know, um, and, and then ask. Then uh, she asks what what they do, and they say, "Oh, we mostly fondle each other for a living." We fondle each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so she immediately leaves the apartment that she went into without being invited. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Like holy shit. So, um, there's so many things wrong with that. There's so many things wrong with this movie. You know, um, so now we go to uh, Jerry Orbach with uh, with the pedo mustache. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we discover that Allison cannot take simple instructions, and I don't know how she ever got hired on anything. Yes, because it is not a hard thing to do to turn a la- to turn a bottle so the label is facing the camera. Yes, and she fails to do it. Is it running behind as it is? Isn't it like eighteen takes or something crazy like that? Yeah, I was like, this is just insane. This never happened. I would have fired her on the spot. Yeah, like that's another thing. Like you would not be able to do eighteen takes of a fucking commercial. No, and I think her friend is there again. Yes, her friend is there. Yeah, and honestly, that most directors, and for those of you who haven't worked on on commercials or whatever, most directors would have just either fired her or replaced her, replaced her friend with her at that point. Yes, because they would they would have not done eighteen fucking takes of a commercial of of one shot of a commercial. And it's like they treated her like she was just the most important thing. Like again, like she's the most like famous model, and there's no way that that's possible if people are asking her what they recognize her from, and they don't immediately know her name. Yeah, you yeah. know. So there's just a disconnect there. Yeah. So but she faints there. Yeah. Right? Well, when she fa- yeah, but when she faints, she like shoulder blacks the glass, and the glass is and like shatters this glass. Yeah, and the, the and then it's like it's it's very obviously sugar glass, but. It makes it look like the most fragile glass you have ever seen in your life, because... Especially she, on a roof. We're on a rooftop. <laughs> yeah, and she just hits it kind of slightly with her shoulder, and then it just fucking bursts into a million fucking pieces. But doesn't hurt her. <laughs> but, but, and then the director has, like, 20 ideas for how he can get, how he can get past this, and I just thought, why wouldn't... In a regular set, he would have had those ideas after her third fucking flub tape. Yes. Like, he would Jerry, not... Jerry, what are you doing? You're killing us, Jerry. Yeah. So, um, so she goes, so she goes back home, and, uh, Mr. Chasen shows up, um, and, and wants to take... Blindfolds her. Blindfolds her, with, you know, you're just gonna let this weird man who puts pictures of himself and, and lets his pets run all over her furniture, you're just gonna mm-hmm. totally let him do that. And it takes you to a party. Um, there's a woman who, cat. yeah, with for his cat, which I I have to admit, I I kind of thought it was really cute. To Charles see has literally come to my dog's birthday party, so yes, yeah, yes. Jezebel with the party that's, hat on was amazing. That, that's not the weirdest part about this party. The fact that it was for a cat is the most normal thing about it. Yes, yes. There's a woman with obvious Parkinson's who starts yelling stuff like "black and white cat, black and white cake." Um, there's a whole bunch of old people, and then they start doing the polka, and, 
<laughs> like, and it all makes sense, of course. Yeah, and then she starts having nightmares, like weird naked dreams of her neighbors stripping her while Beverly D'Angelo is banging on cymbals like one of those little like automated monkeys. Yes. So I, I'm not, I, I, I assume that was supposed to be a, a horrifying dream. I mean, but, I'm afraid of it, but they didn't execute it well. No, and that's exactly what I was talking about with the horror. Anything that's supposed to be horrifying in this movie is, is usually laughable. Yeah. You know, like the guy, I've seen Death Wish, which we've done before, and the guy's fairly good at making, um, you know, uh, action sequences, but he is not able to make anything that looks horrifying to anyone, except like maybe like, I don't know, like a vanilla repressed housewife who lives in Wisconsin or some shit. Mm-hmm. So. She gets all sorts of horrified now because there's footsteps and metal clanking in the apartment above her, which, if you're a New Yorker, you would not be woken up by footsteps in the apartment above you. Also, they're just, it's just like metal clanking. Of course, the apartment above her is supposed to be vacant, right? And um, has been for some time. And then, but not only does the, do the footsteps and the metal clanking cause such a ruckus that they make, that it forces her to wake up, it also makes her chandelier in her bedroom sway with such severity that you'd think it was a herd of fucking elephants upstairs. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't add up at all. Yeah, so so here's where we learn that um no one else actually lives in the building except her and the priest, apparently. Yeah. So uh Charlie Chasen just kind of disappears at this point. Um and now it becomes now the story just gets weird. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean that in a structural way. You know, like... It may as well have been a different movie at this point. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, basically she goes, you know, uh, what, the next night she has those problems again. And she decides... Now, so here's the thing. If you think that there's something weird going on and you don't trust your neighbors or whatever... You should probably put clothes on before you leave your apartment and start walking around the, like, building. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that really got me, where I'm like, so, wait, she's so horrified by everything that she's walking around in a little, neg- like, negligee? Yeah. You know, and it's not like it's in her own apartment. In her own apartment, I can understand that. She leaves her apartment in this negligee <laughs> to go up. First thing we see is uh, Jezebel eating Mortimer, which, you know, yeah. that's just nature. All right? It happens. Yeah, but what's weird is Mortimer's condition changes in every shot they did. Like, Mortimer, sometimes he's totally bloody, sometimes he's not, sometimes he is, like, ripped open, and then sometimes he just looks like a regular bird. And in that, Mortimer has a greater story arc and a character arc than she does. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, uh, and so she then, once again, goes into someone else's apartment. There's a lot of trespassing in this movie, and all of it done by Allison. And so, you know, she goes in the apartment and then there's a naked caveman um, who. Oh, it, yeah. Yeah. Who um, it turns out it's her dad uh, and he's all rotting and stuff. And somehow the prostitutes are there, um, which spoiler warning, everyone in this building is dead. So does this mean the prostitutes died somehow off camera, too, that we did not see? Yes. You know, so. Um, there's, there's a, there's a really weird, the the edits in this film, really weird sometimes, because there's one, there's one part where the lighting is 100% different on her dad 
in one shot, and then it goes directly to another shot of him where the lighting is different. Yes, you're right. There's not even like you know, like like there's the way that most uh, most films will cover that up, and it's usually the way that you're kind of taught to do it. Is you'll do a reaction shot, or you'll do something else so that you can kind of go from one shot to the next. You never want to just go one shot of something. Oh, there's the same thing, but with slightly different lighting. Yes, exactly. So they should have cut and just had to, you know, saw her reaction and then gone back to dad. Yeah. But didn't yeah. Do it. So she chops her dad up and then she runs screaming out into the street and, and, you know, in her negligee with blood all over her. And, you know, what were you saying about her neighbors? Well, she, it's like all of her neighbors, not even in that building, because all those people are dead and apparently don't exist, but in every brownstone surrounding, which also there aren't really, there's only like on that street, there are a couple more houses, but it's the last one on the corner. So it's a different house that she runs out of. And there's people on either side in different buildings that don't exist. They all are just like waiting. It's like they're just waiting for someone to run out on the street and faint because they all come running out after her. <laughs> Well, in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, here's the here, yeah. It's it's like it's two seconds like after she runs into the street screaming, people are immediately pouring out of their apartments to come get her. Yes. Which would it have would have at least taken about a minute in real yes. in reality. And most people, honestly, it's New York in the fucking seventies. People would have just like, oh my god. So. Here's where the movie takes a weird turn and becomes a, a, a very uninteresting detective story for about a half hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it now, suddenly, Michael is the new protagonist. Yes. And the Michael... That's the boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. A, a boyfriend, a character who we already... We don't really like. Yeah. We don't really care about that much. And, um, you know, everyone thinks uh, Allison is crazy... And there's a there's a weird police subplot that yes, is so stupid. uninteresting. And really I forgot the, about it. <laughs> the most interesting part of it is that the detective's partner is a very young Christopher Walken. Yes. Who is only given two lines in the whole fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And the most interesting part became, oh shit, that's Christopher Walken. Wait, he isn't saying anything. When is Christopher Walken gonna get a line? <laughs> Yeah, that I, that's exactly. You don't pay attention to anything else in that plot whatsoever. Yeah, it 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 feels like we're watching like it 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 derails the whole movie. Yeah, it feels it yeah, it feels like we're watching like a bad attempt at film noir that like just doesn't work. No, exactly. I wrote down. I wrote. Is that fucking Christopher Walken? It's <laughs> 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 so sad. He had no yeah. lines. Yeah. So. You know, there's a whole thing now where Allison goes to a church and her boyfriend breaks into the Archdiocese of Manhattan to steal a file on the... Like, all this takes way too long to get there. Yep. You know. It does. And there's, um... Whatchamacallit. And when she goes to the church, she decides she wants to find a god again and has this great thing. The thing that bothered me also as a Catholic is that she says she hasn't been to confession in a long time. And they have confession out in the open with other people sitting there praying instead of going into the confessional. Yeah. Um, So that (laughs) fucking drove me up a wall. And then the next time she goes there, it's a different person. (laughs) 
<laughs> although, it, although at least they, at least the her the different person is explained. It's not like they just changed actors and went. Exactly. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be surprised if they did that though. At that point. Yeah. So, um, you know, so the boyfriend at this point is checking out Father Holleran, who is the blind priest who lives upstairs. Yes, yeah, so and we know like, now that the church takes care of his needs. Yeah. Yes. And you know, because apparently he has chronic palsy, but. The boyfriend doesn't believe this, so he sneaks into the apartment. I mean, he sneaks into the diocese, and he takes a fire. And it's all like, Jesus, I don't care. Yeah. I really don't fucking care. And here's where they reveal that, actually, he used to be William O'Rourke. But then, after attempting suicide, he became Father Halloran. And then there's all these people previously leading all the way back to when everything was done by hand. and. Who all so, became nuns or priests after they attempted suicide. Yes. And he finds a file of Allison that she's going to become a a nun named Sister Teresa. Very original choice of name. Holy <laughs> shit. Oh my god. Yeah. I did not realize. Oh, well, Ter- I was thinking about Mother Teresa, but yes, no, what we're realizing is that it's, it's Teresa and Allison now, yeah. which is our movie. <laughs> which is which is not something I did on purpose, believe me, I just realized it as we heard. I didn't even make a note about it, I just realized it right now. Yeah. That- <laughs> God. That's See, really I- funny. Oh, man. Like, so, um, the next note I have... It's it's not really a, a, a complaint or anything. It's just weird. Um, seeing the 1970s uh, New York skyline without the World Trade Center, like yeah. we're we're used to it now because of what happened on September 11th. But it's weird seeing movies before the World Trade Center was made. Yeah, it kind of made me un- like more uncomfortable than some of the horror sequences. Yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, he Michael goes and um, you know. Uh, she's go okay. So Allison's going to a party, which is exactly where you want to put um someone who is who everyone thinks is crazy. Yes, and he tells um Jennifer to watch her. Uh, but Michael is the protagonist of the film at this point, and and yes, he is, and it's weird because like uh, there's no, no reason. Cares. Yeah, no, no one gives a shit. So, Alan. So he goes. He finds that uh, he finds the gates of hell, which which you know has a nice plaque. Actually, it does have a really nice plaque down where yeah. the mailboxes are on the uh, first floor of the building. Yeah, you would think it would be like a big like cave with souls screaming or whatever, but no, it's like a really nice like, inscription that looks like they went to like a a, a very nice shop to yeah. get the um to get quotes from Paradise Lost put onto it. Which once again, Paradise Lost. No biblical anything, just Paradise Lost. Yes, yeah. just Paradise Lost. So, um, and then Michael goes to kill the priest, um, you know, at, which is done in an awful jump cut, mm-hmm. where once again they do the exact same thing they did earlier, where they show the same angle, but cut to a different take. Yes. But now he is strangling an obvious dummy with a bad wig on. Exactly. Yeah. And, um... You know, so he gets killed, and Allison passes out, and um, goes, decides that she's going to go back to her place. Because that makes sense. Yeah. 
And so she finds Michael's obnoxious giant ML ring. ML. A, I think they were cuffs. They were cuffs for him. Cuffs or whatever yeah. the fuck they were. Yeah, but yeah. she finds them in a pool of blood. And instead of calling the police, she decides she's going to hide in a wardrobe. Yes, of course. Because that's naturally what you do. Yes. And Michael comes out and Michael starts basically, uh, you know, giving her religious exposition. <laughs> Yeah. For no reason whatsoever. This is where we learn what the plot is, but there's been no hints as to what the plot was before. It's just like, here's a whole bunch of shit you would have never figured out if Michael didn't tell you it. Exactly. So, so, and then at that point, Jezebel shows up, and the first thing Allison says is, kill it, Michael! Kill it! Kill the fucking cat. So the neighbor's cat shows up, and you tell your boyfriend to kill it. Yeah. Like, I'm so pissed off. As far as I'm concerned, like, you know, that's. <laughs> that that shows a lot. That, that, I don't know. Like, maybe you deserve to be in hell, Allison. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, she goes outside, and now the neighbors are out there or whatever. And. But now the denizens of hell are out there. And this is a part I really want us to talk about here, because this is. This is some pretty exploitative shit. Yeah. Like, um, according to uh, Michael uh, Winner, what he did was... Um, so, she goes outside. Let's do, uh, Chelsea, can you describe the scene? Um, when, all the, when all the people come out? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, she's... Um, well, I forgot, did we say that all the people who are dead, that we, the, the, we discovered that they're all murderers or yes. whatever? Yeah, they're yes. all murderers. So they're all murderers and they're all dead. They don't exist. And then... Um, the, the cops figure that out and then disappear from the rest of the film. Yes. So we figure out that Michael, Michael, right? Mm -hmm. That he's okay and he's alive, so we think. And then he goes and tells her that the priest killed him. And then all of these people, as she's running throughout the house, come to her and they, were, they are all deformed in some way or have something physically wrong with them in, as she runs throughout this entire apartment building. And it is really disturbing and disgusting how they went about using these people. <laughs> yeah, they pretty much just... They went and they went to sideshows and they went to hospitals and they hired people with physical deformities who had never worked in film before. And you can tell, it looks like they didn't even give them instructions. Yeah, there was no direction whatsoever. They have no expressions on their faces. They're just kind of like, hey, what's up? You know, yeah. kind of hanging out in underwear. And that is apparently supposed to be horrifying enough to think that these yeah. are the armies of hell because they're deformed people. Deformed yeah. people not even trying to be threatening. Are evil. But, but just, you know, but that's the thing. They're not, none of them are doing anything even remotely threatening. Mm -mm. They're just standing there, and that is supposed to be horrifying enough. Just yeah. that this person has a deformity, which is really offensive and really fucked up. Yeah, we were yeah. really pissed off about that. You know, and so um, as they go, you know, you end up feeling bad for bad for them, you know? Like, yeah. Like, a lot of them look as if they don't know they're being fucking exploited by this fucking movie. No, they don't. They're just probably excited about the fact that someone approached them to be in a movie. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so she's running through the halls, running into uh, deformed people, and then, um, you know, the lesbians are eating Michael's brain. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then we see the two uh, prostitutes who are with her, who are with her dad, but they have mice on them for whatever fucking reason. Yeah, no um, reason whatsoever. Which once again, did they die off camera? Did the father kill them? Like what? Th- yeah. Why are they there? Why are they we in hell? Never know. Yeah. So, and I remember just thinking, wow, and, and the makeup on the two on the two prostitutes was awful because it was like they are nude. And only their faces have makeup on. Yes. Their faces are pale, so we're supposed to believe they're dead. But the rest of their bodies are regular skin tone. No makeup was put on them. Yep. And it just looks like they decided to go, like, goth or something. Exactly. So, you know. um, So, it turns out they want her to kill herself. Which, once again, at no point in the film did any character ever imply she should kill herself. It doesn't make any sense as to why they want her to do this. Well, the reason why they want her to do this is because um, the building in Brooklyn Heights is over a gateway to hell. Yes. And Allison is supposed to become the next guardian when she becomes Sister Therese. She is supposed to be there to um, fight the forces of darkness um, and and keep, uh, you know, Earth um, from being destroyed. Which brought up a big question to me. So... If there is a gate to hell over Brooklyn Heights, were the Native Americans defending against hell? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, if it's a gate sense. to hell, it would have been there since the beginning of, like, oh, Earth's creation. Fine. Yeah. So, you know, was this just an area that, like, how did no one notice that there is a literal gateway to hell? Yeah, and there's no representation of Native Americans in the dead people whatsoever. It's all white people, except for the random black priest who has no lines in the first scene. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, by the way, this is a very white New York. Yes. It's a ridiculously white New York City, which is... Not even un- the extras. They're all yeah. white. Yeah, which is very much unlike any New York City I've ever been to. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, the guy did make Death Wish, and most of the most of the uh, the criminals in Death Wish were people of color. So maybe that's uh, where oh, all the that makes sense. yeah. So maybe that's where all the people of color were in this film. Um, so you know, uh, Father Holleran shows up, and he holds, a, and he doesn't do anything special. There's no lasers or anything like that. He just holds up a. Um, a cross. A crucifix. Yeah, he just holds it up and everyone dies. <laughs> yes, that literally, like, I, he just walks. He just walks through the room with the, with the cross, and everyone's freaking out. And the deformed people just kind of walk backwards, and <laughs> you know, um, and we, and so uh, Al- Allison grabs the cross and becomes Sister Therese. So my whole thing is, if everyone was so horrified of the cross, couldn't just any regular person have just walked? through there with that cross. Exactly. Because it's not like Father Halloran did anything special. He just held a fucking cross. And it's not like Allison's smart enough to outwit these fucking people. She's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, all the hell people disappear. Um, and, you know, like, uh, then it immediately cuts to a wrecking ball smashing the side of the building. Um, and the building gets, uh, you know, renovated. And then we see a couple, one of which is uh, uh, Nana Visitor, who played Kira in Deep Space Nine. Um, and they're, they're the new couple looking for the apartment. Um, and now Allison is the uh, blind uh, nun guarding the gates of hell. And her apartment also looks renovated, which makes me wonder, 
Did they renovate the apartment around the blind nun who guards the gates of hell? Exactly. <laughs> like, and, and how also... how did they, like, demolish this building without unleashing the gates of hell? Yeah, so it's a lot of questions that we kind of... I assume they were going to answer in The Guardian. In The um, Guardian, but thank God that was never made. Yeah, but, you know, um, overall... Uh, and the other thing I want to note, um, Chelsea had asked me uh, about Chris Sarandon when we first did this. And this is just a little note that she and I, that she and I have been talking about personally. Um, she had asked me if Chris Sarandon, Susan Sarandon's brother. And it turned out, actually, he was her ex-husband. He was her husband at the time of this movie. Um, and Susan Sarandon took his, uh, his last name, which this is a lesson for uh, young actresses out there as to why you should not take your husband's last name, because she was already nominated for an Oscar by the time she divorced him. So she was stuck with her name, and it's been her name for 41 years now. <laughs> yes, that's fucking hilarious. Yes. But that's so, the Sentinel. <laughs> yeah. So in closing, Chelsea, how do you feel the Sentinel could have been a better... F I, I mean, I think a complete restructuring, quite honestly. Yeah, the, the like plot is there, the ideas are there, but there are too many unanswered questions, and um, the acting wasn't great, and obviously there were some holes with, the, you know, something as simple as why would you put makeup on somebody's face to make them seem dead, and how could you think that you could go around hiring deformed people to make them evil it's just it's just things that you think that maybe the person creating this was addicted to opiates in some way and that's the only way that it made sense to them yeah and 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 that's the thing i actually looked it up um about the deformed people because i thought hey maybe you know what we're we're a more progressive society now so maybe people were totally cool with that in 1977 i looked it up people were pissed in 1977 at that too i bet so I'm glad to see that, like, you know, at least that they thought was fucked up and wrong. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but yeah, I think that, like, there's there's a lot of good elements about the film. But I think, number one, someone completely different should have done the horror scenes. Yes. And I think that whoever edited it should, did not deserve to be editing a fucking film. Exactly. So anyway, I don't know. I just found it strange. And yes. uh, you know what else I find strange, Chelsea? What? Why, I find D. Snyder's Strangeland to be strange, and that oh. will be our next film. Great. So, all right, uh, I guess that will be it for us. Yeah, thanks for listening, and tune in next time and all that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, boy, don't, don't sound so enthusiastic, Chelsea. <laughs> all righty, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye.